0: How's it going, Ben? Doing all right good. today?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's good. Excited to have this conversation with you. It's a, I think it's a good one and it's timely, so that's that's yeah. always good.
0: Yeah. I I definitely think that kind of with everything that I've seen going on when you hit when you talked about the matriarchy thing, that's what really sparked I was like I think there's something that people need to talk about for sure.
1: Um, well, we're we're going to all have to start talking about it, but well here's here's what's interesting. We're We are experiencing something new. I think that everybody understands that what's going on in Western culture right now is Mm -hmm. something that we haven't seen before. It's a brand new manifestation of something. Mm -hmm. But I think we're struggling right now. So we're embodying this whole thing. Whether we like it or not, we're in the middle of it and it's not going anywhere, right? So we're embodying something some phenomenon or, or mixture of phenomena are coming together all as one. And I, I think, interestingly enough, it's been through my experience with cryptocurrency and the blockchain and, and doing some development and understanding this new way of thinking that's inside of that, or not even a new way, but a new manifestation of an old way of thinking, mm-hmm. uh, using new technology that's brought me to a realization where I think, at least I want to start a conversation of starting to articulate the things that I'm seeing, which, you know, we're going to have this conversation. And the one thing that I want to say up front for the people who are listening is that by no means am I saying that I have this whole thing figured out of what it is that we're looking at. But I do think that I at least maybe have some starting point kernels that feel right, that seem to stand up to, to, to that sort of uh, gut instinct that you're talking about. And so... Yeah, I want to lay that out from the beginning, though, first, that like, I, I, I'm hoping that we're starting a conversation here where we can all start to participate in, in unlocking some answers to, to what's going on and, and maybe to helping this be a little more smooth in our culture. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so I just, for those of my listeners who uh, don't know you, could you give me a little bit of a background on who you are and, you know, what you're doing right now with your podcast and everything?
1: Sure. So um, most people right now who are listening to this probably know me from my podcast, The Vin Armani Show. Most people in the world who know of me, though, know me as a star of a show that was on Showtime called Gigolos for uh, six seasons, started in like 2010. Um, So it's been a bit of a transition, but being going through that adventure was very, I'm my background is my backgrounds as a software developer. So I've had this kind of very interesting arc. And I think that uh, being able to have what I would call a healthy amount of celebrity. Yeah. So I I, I, I view that as like, I do get stopped on the street pretty much any time that I spend a significant amount of time in public. So I travel a lot when I'm in airports, I will get stopped pretty much every single flight that I take. If I'm out, Uh, just out and about in a relatively crowded place, people will stop and be like, can I take your picture? And this has happened all over the world, the shows in 24 markets. But I have never had my face in a tabloid. I have never uh, been on, um, you know, Access Hollywood. I've never been embroiled in any kind of a scandal. Um, I don't have crazy stalkers that I have to worry about. So I view that as like, just the perfect amount of celebrity to be able to experience what that actually is to have that frame of reference. Um, and then for it to be able to open some doors. So it's been very cool transitioning into uh, more of a libertarian, but I view myself as coming from a, a, a libertarian from a spiritual it's, it's, it's a spiritual experience for me, much less a political ideology. And so this is what I believe on a moral and ethical. This is what, what meshes with my own, um, beliefs so it's been a great experience to transition into that and that's where i am now more being able to spend more time writing i have that luxury working on software projects uh, in the cryptocurrency space so we've got some great projects we're working on there and it's just being able to live a life that's integrated and that's that's very holistically aligned in my actions with my beliefs as well so so that's where i'm at right now
0: yeah that's awesome and so for As far as your writing goes, I read your book recently, The Self Ownership. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the keys is that you bring up in there, obviously, is the idea of the crypto savage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's probably good to talk about that a little bit because I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, as you're talking about kind of looking at all the phenomenon that's going around with the matriarchy and everything, I think that looking at it through the lens of the crypto savage and building the, Mm -hmm. you know, basically what that is i think you know the whole idea of you're creating the culture within a culture right now mm-hmm. is what's going on and when you have to look at the other culture and see you know That's how right. you have to react to it obviously if you're going to be the savage within it and so right. i think i haven't obviously described what crypto savage is so if you could talk about that real fast because people are probably losing me where i'm talking
1: Sure, and I think that it 's an important place to, to it 's a good jumping off point it 's an important place to start it 's really where I end my book self ownership off uh, which I wanted to do so self ownership I wanted to do a uh, and I wanted to expound on the idea of what is ownership because as a libertarian and as somebody who uh, is is basically a, a huge proponent of the ideas of Austrian economics understanding that, you know, private property and the, the ability to have a sort of a private property order and to understand that as it extends all the way down into a sort of bodily autonomy and the, the idea that libertarians always say, well, it's there's self-ownership, you own yourself. But what I never heard expounded by thinkers, they would just jump right over it is, well, we say you own yourself or you own property, but what is ownership anyway? Like define ownership. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, then like really anybody can blow the, the the argument apart. So that's basically what the book is. But as I struggled through the book, truly, and it, and it was like to go into these things and really try to get some revealed knowledge and some revealed wisdom to come out, I started to see that, wow, there is this entire culture that is rising within our own culture and looking at the evolution of cultures looking back because I had to go back and particularly look at where did the American experience start. Uh, libertarianism, is a, is a, it's an American uh, phenomenon. And so I had to go back and look at that and I saw that so much of it is this, this um, contact with the savage, with these other cultures that are not our own. And that the modern era has been shaped by the mixing and the mingling of cultures, particularly through global trade and conquest. And we see the great civilizations of the past, they've always taken on things from other cultures, and they've taken the best of cultures, sometimes they'll even things that clash. And so the evolution of, of culture, when it's it a Fast evolution, I won't even call it evolution, because in this context, it's really a revolution, when there are cultural revolutions, which is something that the ideas of liberty really have truly been, they've been revolutionary ideas uh, that have come all at once. And they've come from a small minority of people, and they've taken over. When that happens, it's generally the uh, the, the meeting and the ingestion into an old culture of the the culture of the savage and that there have been the talented people who have been able to go out either through space by traveling to places like marco polo and bringing things back i mean marco polo supposedly brought pasta to italy you know what i mean so what would italian food be without pasta that's a revolution that's the the influx of the savage Um, or whether it's traveling through time and bringing things back, which is very much what the founding fathers of America were doing, traveling back in time to Rome, to Greece, to to pull these ideas back, right? That's the Renaissance, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment too, but the Renaissance in particular was the first time that there was that that influx into Europe and it was a revolutionary time. Um, So whenever you have that, it's the influx of the savage, but we're now in a global culture, Mm-hmm. And so in order for this culture to change, in order for there to be revolutionary change, that means that it actually has to come from within the culture itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that's a sub, whether that's subcultures, whatever you would like to call it, more and more you're seeing even subcultures being homogenized because – They're all on, you know, I mean, I was part of the rave culture very, very early on uh, in the 90s when I was in my teens. And I remember going out into the desert, to these desert raves uh, under the full moon and you had to drive for hours and there was a map point and it was very kind of secretive. Sometimes it would get broken up by the Bureau of Land Management. This is what went on to become, um, you know, these people of Moon Tribe and Integral went on to become Burning Man, which is now a, a global... Cultural phenomenon. But yeah. at this time, this is like a bunch of people out in the middle of the dust uh, in the Mojave Desert under the full moon. You've got your DJ, it's all powered on generators, and there's maybe 20 or 30 people at each of these parties, right? So nowadays, if you think about something like that happening, it would be instantly on Instagram, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody, the second that they're there, is going to be taking pictures. I'm in the desert. They're going to be tagging themselves on their GPS, all of this. You can't have these these, uh, what Hakim Bey, the anarchist theorist, called temporary autonomous zones. He's got a book called TAZ, Temporary Autonomous Zones, where he talks about this idea. We no longer really have the capability for the savage to be bred in that way, in that same way, just completely disconnected, and these new cultures that can then grow to a point and be protected to a point where they, they can spread on. So. What we have is we have a new kind of savage. So that was still the old savage, right? The subculture that was able to be created and, and grow enough to be a new culture that could then come and clash. And that's, you know, you get the introduction of something like the things that are going on at Burning Man that can then become a cultural phenomenon. Um, so now we have something that's a, that's a little bit different and it's, it's much more virtual. And I think that uh, in many ways it's happening we are members of those other cultures without even our knowledge. So we are seeing a, a fracturing off of, for instance, social media. I've seen graphs where people are, are looking at sort of right and left and seeing how much of each other's content they're actually seeing. And we're very much siloed Into our belief, and you know, YouTube algorithms do that as well. To where you would, if you love cat videos, you would think that the only videos in the world, since you're on YouTube, are cat videos. You know, I have my SoundCloud account, and if I go through my feed, it's only feeding me music that's basically what I like. And I would think that's like there's no country on my feed, but I know that there's a ton of country music on SoundCloud. Yeah, so we're getting siloed into these little areas, and I think that what is what. The person who's able to step back away from that, that's the conversation that we're having now, to step back away, to see, yes, while I am participating in this, I am also able to participate as an observer, perhaps to understand the mechanisms of these things going on, and then to move back into my own culture, my own subculture, and to make some changes in that way. And that's the new savagery. That's the crypto savage, and I I think that that movement and that idea is definitely growing.
0: Well, and I think, too, that's something that if you look at the founding fathers, they interacted with it in the same way. They considered themselves British, I mean, up until the point where, I mean, the Declaration of Independence is really when they said, okay, we're American now. But they were building these ideas. They were working with them. I mean, they were defending the guys. The, James Madison defended the uh, British soldiers who did the Boston Massacre. Sure, you know sure. in court and so they were a part of that, but they're creating this thing on the outside, and I think that's where now it's happening in the technology space it's not happening in in you know boardrooms and with the you know you have to have the right light and the password no, you just you have to be in the right platform and with the right groups there, and you can really find it and I think the crazy thing you talked about the like it's almost like subcultures are absorbed into the cult. Like our culture is almost like, yes. it's like, it's just a culture of subcultures at this point. It feels like that's
1: that siloing. That's that yeah. siloing, Right. And, and, and the, some people call it tribalism, I guess, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, It is. I mean, because human beings naturally, that is one of our organizational structures is the tribe. And it's such an old organizational structure that we naturally do flow into that uh, extended family group. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's interesting is we, so many of those tribes never interact with each other. Mm -hmm. Right. They, they are completely, although they are instantly connectable, right they're they're operating on the same network they will never ever ever even know that the other one exists but where what we are reaching now is there's there, it's broader than tribalism i don't think that the conflicts that are happening in our society some people are saying, oh, well, it's just devolving into tribalism. I, I think that does happen within the subcultures. But the conflict that we're seeing, this conflict arc that we're seeing in our society, I do not think that it has anything to do with tribalism. I think that it's a shift in energy that's mm-hmm. coming from an evolution of technology. I think that's what we're going to get into. But yeah. I, I, I do want to start out with that to say that I don't think that it's necessarily a, 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 an issue of tribalism.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at, like you said, with the feeds that things give you, like if you go on Instagram and you're following a bunch of fitness people, then, right. you know, you're going to get like, that's what's going to pop up in your suggest. If you follow a bunch of musicians or like, you know, I follow like kind of like artists or like I, I follow this artist. And now I get all these hula hoop videos because he does like kind of he like basically trips and does art. And so now they're like, oh, you probably like hula hoop girls. And I'm like, not really, but but it's that same culture. (laughs) I'm like, that's not the videos that I'm really wanting, but, but because you're like this thing, you know, this is part of that culture, you know? And I think that none of those people have an issue with the others being there, right? They just want to engage with their culture and they get that. But I don't think that there's, there's a tribe there, but that tribe is peaceful. with the The gym fitness people aren't mad that there's, you know, that others that other thing there is what like the rave culture The you know they don't clash in that way i i think like you're saying it's something more something different because i think that the cultures are happy to be their own niche in the internet space and just do their thing and engage with who they want to engage with but there's something else that's creating the strife and the problems and i think honestly it's A bit of like an old culture sort of thing like there's a pushback against that because it's not compatible with where we're going
1: i mean i mean we're always going to have some degree of pushback of the from the old culture to the new that's just that sort of hegelian dialectic of like thesis antithesis synthesis right so you end up with like you know prime example, music, you know, music has been a passion of mine for a very, very long time. And watching the evolution of music is to truly watch the evolution of culture. And so uh, you have, you know, the the famous, basically the inventor of rock and roll, you could say Sam Phillips, uh, Sun Records, you have the sort of thesis of you know his passion was he wanted to bring I mean when he was a kid he worked in the cotton fields and he was like he heard the music this you know that the the black people in the south were doing and as a young white kid he had never been exposed to to this because it wasn't being recorded that's what yeah. you have to remember so yeah. it was like he's like what is this crazy beautiful music and so he dedicated his whole life to recording it and so You had him recording a lot, so many of these black artists and putting it out, but yet that was never going to get into the mainstream. Right? So that was the thesis. Then you had the antithesis coming back from out of the South that's like, this is inappropriate. This has nothing to do with us. And then you have the synthesis. And that synthesis in the US was Elvis, who also Sam recognized and brought it in. And then it was like, oh, yeah. That's enough of a combination of the two for this to be a cultural phenomenon. Boom! Same sort of situation with the uh, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. It's it's the same story, and so we have you're you're always going to have that. But that is not that is the grow growth and growing pains of the evolution of a culture. Mm-hmm. That is not a, a a war within the culture itself, okay. right? Because the culture is either ready or it's not. It's yeah. either ready or it's not. With something like rock and roll, the culture's either ready or not. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, while you will have pushback from the old culture, you're, you're not going to have a cultural war. The same thing is true with the rise of, say, new religions, uh, You know the, the rise of uh, the Mormons, mm-hmm. or the, the rise of Scientology, right? There's going to be pushback from the establishment, And it's either going to take hold or it's not going to take hold. The people are either ready or they're not ready, but that's not what we're seeing. That's not the change that's happening within the culture where people within the culture who are not, who are not necessarily invested in a particular tribal outcome. So it's not people who are in a particular industry fighting against some new, a novel thing in an industry. It's, It's people holding two views. Both of those views are are concurrent with each other. One is not a new view and one is not an old view. As a matter of fact, both of them are drawing on old ideas. They're drawing on well-worn, well-established ideas, but they're both clashing with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that what that is really a marker of is it's a marker of a change in technology that has thrown the balance between the two basic organizational structures that human beings use. We've seen this clash many times through history. It's always when communication technology changes and it changes the balance. So in, a, in stable human societies, what you basically have is you have two organizational structures that have existed for as long, they're as part of the human experience as humanity itself. In fact, they may be what it is that defines us as human beings. And those two organizational structures that we have, and we use them in various different ways throughout our daily life. Uh, we don't even recognize it. And, but it's how we basically how we assess our reality as social creatures interacting with each other. And the first one is uh, consensus. Mm-hmm. And consensus is there are so many, so many examples of consensus. Language itself is an example of consensus. How does, how, why do, do the letters C-A-T, why are those pronounced cat, and why does it signify this little animal that's walking in front of me? Mm-hmm. Who the hell knows? It's just that we all over time have accepted it, and, and consensus evolves. So we have a great many things like that. You know, nature reflects that as well. Why do we have five, ha- five fingers on our hands? that's consensus yeah over time nature has decided that that's now that's from an evolutionary standpoint Mm -hmm. right so evolution that's the first thing when we talk about consensus we're talking about an evolutionary model and an organizational structure that is basically based on the idea of well that's just how we all do it Mm -hmm. that's how we've always done it that's how we do it and that changes very, very slowly. I mean, you think of how long it takes for a language to change from one language, you know, from, we we have a root of romance languages in Latin. Like, how long does it take to move from Latin to English? And it's not that anybody's like saying, oh, you have to do this, or when when does it split? When does Portuguese split from Spanish and how and why? Who knows? That's just consensus, okay? So that's the first, that's the first organizational structure. And the second organizational structure or the way of defining reality is authority. Mm-hmm. And what authority ends up breeding is authority ends up breeding a chain of command, which looks like a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Now, authority is very, very useful in certain situations and and one of the reasons that it's useful is because it's very fast to change because all you do is you send an order we're moving left and you send it down the chain of the hierarchy one man can say move left and an army moves left because you have a chain of command yeah and that same man can immediately say no retreat and everybody retreats because you have a chain of command of authority you start here Here's authority here that answers to less authority here, that answers to less authority here, that answers to less authority here. And that hierarchy evolved, again, the hierarchical structure evolved from consensus, right? So it's an evolutionary structure, but that allows for authority. And at the same time, in the consensus model, you also at times need authority because whenever something new comes in, that you don't know, that you don't have an answer to by consensus, you need to look to an authority. So it's like, while I may know that CAT is cat, if I'm walking through the Amazon, and some animal goes running by that I've never seen, and that looks crazy, well, there's going to need to be an authority to name that right? Yeah. A zoologist or a biologist. And then he says, oh, that's a, that's a ring-tailed lemur, you know? And I'm like, oh, ring-tailed lemur. Great. Well, thank God I had authority because within my culture of consensus, we don't even have a word for that in our language, mm-hmm. right? So these, this is the interplay between the two. And when you have a stable society, that interplay is, is, is in balance, Right? They're sort of checking and balancing themselves. Authority rises from consensus and then consensus brings it down if it rises to a level of tyranny because you wouldn't want authority to, over something like language where, where there would be somebody who tomorrow could say, no, C-A-T is pronounced dog.
0: And well, it, we and have that too right now. The, I, mean, well, much, I mean, political correctness isn't well, this like, is an
1: authority. Okay. This is the key, right? Yeah. This is the key that you don't... I mean, this was the big Jordan Peterson thing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where really, you know, he he was speaking for consensus against authority trying to take from consensus. But I think that wh- that the kernel that's in there is, he talks a lot about the value of hierarchies, but he doesn't realize that he's actually anti-hierarchy in the wrong situation and pro-consensus in a different situation, which is how it should be. Mm -hmm. And so what the, what, how I've talked about it is you have this consensus, which is decentralized, non-hierarchical. Everybody's on the same level, right? It's just, it's just as valid in terms of my ability to determine what the meaning of CAT is. It's as much as Donald Trump's. It's as much as, Yours, it's as much as anybody on the face of the, of the planet to be able to change what C-A-T, how it is pronounced and how it's signified, right? That is consensus. It puts us all on the same level. Um, and then authority being hierarchical. So these structures, these organizational structures have shaped us over time, even to the point of shaping our biology. But since we have a division of labor and we have a division of labor by sex in our particular species, it has just so turned out that in the foraging, raising of children, village life, organizational structure, that has been, for the most part, consensus-based, that has been the most successful. That's what's evolved. Mm-hmm. For hunting large animals, for organizing groups to be able to fight in wars and to defend their, your tribe, hierarchical structures have been the the most effective and so men have been the men who have been the most apt within a hierarchical structure have been the one that have survived that's even changed our biology to reflect that the women who have been the most effective in communicating and organizing in the uh, decentralized consensus-based model have been the most successful, therefore they have been the ones that survived. That has even shaped their biology. And so we come to a point where we have something that we say, oh, this is a male energy, this is a female energy. Not really, not really. It's a consensus, decentralized energy, and it's a hierarchical authority, authoritative uh, energy But it just so happens that because those two energies have different, have affected over time, the biology and psychology, physiology of males and females differently, Mm -hmm. then we can say there's a matriarchy, this energy, and there's a patriarchy this energy. And it's it's a very good shorthand. So I'm, I, I wanted to go through that whole, lay that whole thing out. Because if I just start with the words matriarchy and patriarchy, in this current environment, it creates a lot of problems because those are
0: loaded. Yeah, they, yeah, they definitely are. And I think, well, I think in any conversation, you really have to define what you're talking about up front. I mean, because any word like that, I mean, anything now, it seems very easy that it can be interpreted different ways it applies differently but but i definitely think that the male and female energies that we have that patriarchy and matriarchy like you said they're complementary and i think that there's something that's rooted in the way really like you said nature works in the way that our universe is organized and i absolutely we have taken on the two rules basically is what you're saying so we've kind of assigned the patriarchy to men and the mm-hmm. matriarchy idea to women and well because we're because we're better suited mm-hmm. right
1: because over time so you, you, one females just by the fact that it in our evolutionary history uh, a woman was going to either be for basically her entire adult life she was either going to be pregnant or caring for children yeah. that was that, this is we don't we take that for granted at this point in in our evolution but that truly truly is what change, why there is a difference between men and women, that why we have such a high level of sexual dimorphism is really due to the fact that uh, young human children require years and years of care and female gestation is, and, and birth is difficult. Yeah. And because of that, the structure that, that worked over time for keeping little humans alive long enough for them to grow into adults is women stay relatively close to the village. They handle it in the, in our hunter gatherer times, they would be more foraging. uh, So gathering, they would be They would be staying close because you can't go too far with, with young children. That's not safe. They would be in very close groups with one another where it was important that every single woman had all of the knowledge of every other woman. So this is, a, this is super, super important that people don't think about. You're in a village. You're in, let's say there's a group of 10 women and all the children it's very important that every single one of those women know everything that's going on with all of their children because they're all taking care of all of the children they need to know if oh this kid you know he likes to run off into the into the brush we need to like be watching out for him he likes to put stuff in his mouth we need to be the women that did that over time those were the women whose children survived Those were the tribes that survived and the children were able to survive. So women, the the female uh, psychology over time evolved to have this sort of whisper network, to have this system of gossip, to have this. This is why even today, you know, they measure the number of words that the average woman says in a day and an average man. And it's something like men say 15% probably not me, but men say 15%, maybe so because I have these conversations and I shut up for the rest of the day, Yeah, right? I'm not on the phone talking to people, but so many women that I know, they spend almost all of their day, they have a strong desire that they need to reach out to their girlfriends and talk about, you know, we men were like, what the hell are you even talking about? Yeah. There's no, We think there's nothing meaningful in there. But their whole psychology evolved that it 's like I need to get every single nugget of information that is in the women around me that is in their head. I have to we have to have consensus, mm-hmm. just like the blockchain we 've all got to be sharing the exact same copy of the blockchain mm-hmm. now with men so because the women had to be there and because they could take care of of the village in in, in our ancestral time we're talking over the course of a million years here right like this is not the modern time this is when our biology evolved because they could do that that meant that the external the the going and and hunting the uh going and finding things that were outside of the range of what children could do the protecting of so we think of hunting but at the same time the amount of land that you have to be in control of, basically, in order for you to be able to effectively hunt is vast. Yeah. I mean, it's vast. It's, you know, like, for, so for just a village of people that's that's maybe a 100, let's say it's a total of a 100 people, you'd have to have maybe 20 mile radius around you that you had to keep other tribes from hunting game in there so that the game could grow. They knew this. Yeah. So, so to be able to patrol, to be able to go out and do all of these things, I mean, even chimpanzees do this. That was all men. And uh, the things that were required, upper greater upper body strength. Um, also, one of the things that men do that women don't necessarily do is – and it comes from this authority hierarchy. And you'll see this, you know, like if you play sports, if you play team sports, you may hate one of the guys on your team. Like when it's, you're just in personal stuff, you may think he's the biggest asshole on, on earth. But when it comes time for, the, for you to play as a team, all of that goes out the window. And even in those moments when things go right, and there's celebration, you will celebrate together and be the best of, I have felt my own biology in those moments undeniably changed to where I'm like, Oh, I think I actually like this guy. Like, I think we're actually friends. And then literally 48 hours later, I'm like, Oh, nope, he's a dick. I don't like him. That's how deeply embedded into the male psychology that is. And to where we're able to, have friends, get into a fight, and then it's like, you guys handle it, handle it, and not keep a grudge. Yeah, Because that's an authority model that's, that's needed for this hierarchical, authoritative, organizational structure. So this is how deeply, over time, and I think that this is an important conversation to start having, especially among these people who are like, there's no biological difference between men and women. And it's like, listen, it's so much deeper than that. But the problem that they have is that they don't, we're not presenting a context of, well, why might there be some differences between men and women? Like, what are some good reasons? And then what are some examples that back up that idea? And I think that, that starting to talk about this, particularly in a vein where we have now a, a big, it's, and it's really the a conversation about decentralization and consensus that came from out of blockchain technology that got me even thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we haven't had mass, this this consensus, decentralized consensus organizational model has existed within the sphere of human beings for a long time, and particularly within communities of women. This, just ha- this is just how it is. Yeah. This is just how women interact. They have their own hierarchy, but it's a hierarchy based on consensus, where it's th- these momentary pops up, right? They may look to somebody as as a particular authority, but it's not hierarchical type of authority. It's like one one level up. Everybody's here and then, oh, she's above everybody else, or he's an alpha. Right. So it's more of an alpha beta situation rather than a hierarchical chain of command. They've had it for so very long, but it's so hard to have on a mass scale the technology required for a consensus a working consensus based model requires a level of communication that we've never had in human history to be able to have for instance tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of miners all mining and sharing consensus instantaneously on the blockchain that is so new so but social media also does it right so a hashtag is that the me too movement is is a, a consensus yeah. and you see that there's actual power like powerful people are being laid low by hashtags dude mm-hmm. so this is new this is very new and if it, and if we can get a handle on what it is we can actually have some some positivity come out of it um otherwise we're going to struggle through it for a much much longer
0: well and i think like uh in politics aristotle talks about it where the most dangerous thing is to have basically the mass or like you know, the the democracy being mobilized by demagoguery. And I think that's what you see with social media. It is, you know, the, the masses, the mob, that's a consensus that they've come together against this person or this thing. That's right. And so you, when you have a leader that can lead you astray quickly, or can, you know, can rile you up in fear, or anger, and prey on those things, then you can make really bad decisions as a consensus. If you're, deliberate and slow as a consensus then you get that evolutionary you know growth that you know that uh i don't know i think you see it with like uh um like block or with bitcoin even like bitcoin took that consensus quickly to the Segwit, and it really derailed a lot of what it was doing and then you have bitcoin cash kind of staying true to what it is and now it's really much more functional because it's slower to adopt these technologies that are popular this this is an
1: important point so consensus is always slow Mm -hmm. but it's it's slow to it's slow to change once consensus has been reached Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have some Aberrant situation where consensus is reached very quickly, right? So you can have mutations inside the consensus, and this is what this is when consensus gets dangerous. Is this, this is what you're describing? Is that when you have? It doesn't have to be a leader, because it's not really about leaders. It's about memes. Consensus is about memes, like genes, right? So you can have uh, the equivalent of a cultural virus that enters, right, and it's a pathogen, and it's, the genes are, they come in and they spread, boom, right, so it's like a flu, because yeah. a, a epidemiology is really all about consensus, right, you're looking for a vector, and then what, if you look at a map, it's getting, the virus is getting consensus, right, it's getting into every single thing, so the problem is, once it's in there, consensus is very difficult to Because it's so rare that you can insert a virus, it's very difficult to insert the antidote because you have to insert the antidote almost in the same way that it has to go in and then start breaking the virus up in there. So this is the problem that you have is that if if you get a situation where you have mass consensus, and that's where I think we are, Mm -hmm. and then a meme gets in there that's a powerful meme that there's no defense for that that consensus has not seen before and there's no defense, it immediately spreads very, very far, and it can be pathological. And and at that point, it's almost impossible to actively try to ameliorate or change because it's how do you change consensus? It's like trying to change the meaning of the word CAT. How would you do that? So this is what we have to, this is what I think we are seeing happen. And people are saying, oh, it's leftists and it's a, no, it, not at all. These, this is the, this is an aberration of memes. And I think that basically what the meme is, is it is, and and I, it's being, I think we're getting much closer to it as people start talking about like, oh, it's postmodernism, it's Marxism, no, I think what we 're seeing is we 're seeing Marxism was one of those memes that was able to catch on at another time, mm-hmm. and so' we're, it was a consensus based pathology, and so it 's one of those ones that takes in that same way so we 're people are i think maybe conflating the two, but I think what it really is is we have we had reached consensus in the West that and, and it goes to a, a matriarchal idea that was inserted into the Declaration of Independence, all men are created equal, right? That is not a patriarchal idea. Mm-hmm. That is a completely matriarchal insertion into something that was previously a patriarchal idea. So this is a, a, a piece, a, a positive piece of the matriarchy. You could say this is the Blessed Mother right? This is the uh, the insertion of, and, and we had talked on Twitter where I had said, you know, Christianity, the best part of it is matriarchal. And it is yeah. the, that we all have this immortal soul and that God is all of our, we are God's children now, yeah. not slaves. It's not the Lord. It's the father, right? Yeah. And this, this notion, all men created equal, this is a matriarchal notion. And at that time in its kernel, it was the blessed mother because it worked very well. It was trying to fight against the patriarchy. Now, it works so damn well that we reached a point over the last several generations where really the consensus in society was, oh, yeah, all people are created equal. And, oh, yeah, like discriminating against other people based on the color of their skin is terrible. And then, well, not just the color of their skin, discriminating on people based on their their. Sex and their gender and their sexual orientation and their place of birth and their ethnicity and their language group and their religion—all of this is terrible, 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 terrible. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. That's where you reach this point, and that's about probably where it should be. But then, discrimination—when you cross into discrimination itself, the uh, the idea and concept of treating human beings differently itself is not good you've now crossed into yeah. the pathology the devouring mother because this is this is where you cross into insanity because the bottom line is discrimination is incredibly smart incredibly smart and particularly for people who call themselves feminists to say that they are anti-discrimination I'm like hold on so you're telling me any man who wants to sleep with you you give him access no matter what he looks like discrimination based on appearance no matter what he smells like discrimination based on order uh, odor no matter how tall he is or short he is height discrimination right no matter any of those things no matter how much money he has class discrimination Mm -hmm. oh you don't do any of that so a, a broke broke midget who stinks like shit and he says he wants to sleep with you you're like okay spread your legs no of course not because discrimination is we have to discriminate well we have
0: choices between that's it's
1: It's it's, choice right so so where we've crossed the line now is we've crossed the line into from if we're going to have a state this was the idea if we're going to have a state and there is going to be a monopoly on violence, mm-hmm. then, then the ideal state would not levy that violence against certain individuals based on things that they could not control.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's
1: a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> but when that is lost, when the understanding is not, you know, when it becomes, and this is what happens with tradition, is that it basically becomes a cargo cult. This is how consensus falls apart. <laughs> is that the reasons that things came up, and this happens often in religions as well, yeah. the reasons that things came up become lost. Yeah. It becomes lost to tradition. It becomes lost to ritual. It's just how we always did it. That's consensus. Yeah. And then a meme comes up within that that is off from the original purpose, And that, but that meme is able to catch on because it carries enough of that mimetic material that it's like oh yeah discrimination is bad and then you just it, and then it's just a pathology and that's what we've reached at this point is we've got pathological matriarchy that's building and building and building on top of itself and it's going to be very difficult to to halt or I don't even know I, I don't know if it has to break the society apart which is kind of I think what the devouring mother ends up ends up doing just like the tyrant ends up doing i don't know if our entire society has to fall apart because of this because it just rises to a point where it's like nothing makes sense anymore
0: mm-hmm. well and and yeah it's to the point where this even with discrimination it doesn't make sense where you have feminists saying that you know talking about the wage gap and all this and at the same time i just saw like articles where they have like a women-only island and like of course yeah it's because it's it's it's, it's to the point where discrimination is so bad that it's good to discriminate against basically the people who historically have been discriminatory against the groups that are, you know, that, the groups that feel discriminated against. They can discriminate back.
1: Yeah, it's it's it, the it, Karl Popper the Karl Popper idea of um, it's okay to be intolerant against those who are intolerant. intolerant.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like it doesn't make sense. And and the funny thing is the way you kill the intolerance is through being you know tolerant and giving them the platform and you just absolutely like and you people like if anyone hears you know someone's few nazi ideas you're like you're an idiot like it, it we're yeah, all let trying. them let them talk yeah. like if if you want if you want to
1: uh you know make it so that people aren't racist like yeah put a Nazi and a KKK member on the stage and then just let them talk. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was great when like back in the eighties, Geraldo and Oprah and Donahue, they used to have these white supremacists on talking and they were just idiots. Right. But it's, but, and at the same time, they would have like nation of Islam, like black nationalists and, they sounded stupid too. Like they all sounded dumb, you know? And so I think that, but that's, that's a very, very important point, but that comes from the patriarchy, Mm -hmm. right? Because the, the patriarchy is an idea of if you have authority Mm -hmm. and this person can change and, and like this, this becomes very, very, very clear is this is, this is how all author, authoritative structures. This is why in a, uh, a corporation you have a board of directors mm-hmm. yeah. right the idea is there's one person who's gonna make a decision this is either gonna be the president or the CEO mm-hmm. he has a decision to make just like the president uh, the, the any president of a nation right authoritative hierarchy he's like okay I need to make a decision he's got all of these advisors these advisors may disagree with each other mm-hmm. right and so that but they all get together and cordially because they're all supposed to be on the same team going for the exact same goal again we're right back to this this situation this is how far back it goes yeah. it's built right into the psychology and the physiology and then they say well here's my idea here's my idea and the authority says okay okay all right and then makes a decision based on which one seems to be the most reason so when you have a scenario like that you imagine ten thousand years right And you've got 10,000 years of civilization, you've got 10,000 years of these advanced hierarchies. Well, over time, there becomes a huge demand for a system through which we can determine which one of these decisions is the best decision. Mm -hmm. And through that, you get science. Now, because the initial advisors to you go back to uh, Egypt or you go back to Sumeria, the initial advisors were also the proto-scientists. I mean, it was the priest class. Mm-hmm. Egypt in particular, which is where so much of our culture comes from because that's where uh, Judaic culture came out of. I mean, Moses was the, the adopted son of the Pharaoh, yeah, right? Yeah. So this is where in Judeo-Christian in the Western world, which is the, which is the Christian world, I mean, that's it. Or the, or the Islamic world as well because that came out of that same Judeo-Christian context i mean mohammed was pulling from uh the torah and from the teachings of jesus like so this is our culture this is what western uh culture is based upon it comes from out of egypt and the reasons that the priests had a place were was because of the unique uh, geography of egypt which was the the flooding of the nile was what enabled their entire civilization And they could predict the flooding of the Nile by the rising of the star Sirius at a very particular place. There's some evidence that that was, that that had been back 16,000 years. There's a, a place called Nabta Playa. It's in the Sudanese desert where they have, it's like a stonehenge almost that predicts this particular rising. They can tell. And by measuring, uh, by going back in terms of where that procession would have been they could say okay it was either this year built this year this year cuz it lines up so they were the proto scientists from the beginning these priests mm-hmm. and they were the advisors of the pharaoh advisors of the king and so the idea of logic and reason statistics mm-hmm. observation these tools were are all a part of the authoritative hierarchical structure to the point where you get so advanced that you don't even need a king anymore because you have a scientific method. You have a a methodology that you can judge things against, that you follow this and then people can peer review, they can do all of that. So you can see how very, very deeply these two concepts permeate every aspect of our culture and how they got to the place that they are. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge demand right now because we have a connection of people in uh, instant communication, even face-to-face, even in our pockets with FaceTime and Skype, to anyone in the world, it takes us back into the village. And what has happened is this is like the fertile ground Mm -hmm. for the matriarchy, everything associated with positive and negative. Mm -hmm. It's because we have that that we are able to have blockchain technology. This is a purely matriarchal economic structure that is amazing. That I absolutely love, completely decentralized. It's going to revolutionize the world, and it's going to smash the patriarchal structure, which was central banks, yeah. centralized yeah. authority that even has a pyramid on it. Yeah, you know, I mean, you couldn't. It's 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 very very clear what's happening here, what's going on. But at the same time, there are some things that are very positive, the authoritative things that are very positive, including science. Mm-hmm. Uh, including the rule of law, things that have evolved over this long period of time that also are at risk of being smashed. And if those are smashed, we're going to be in a very, very difficult situation that because now there is no bulwark, there is no external place. It's not like, oh, this is happening in the Soviet Union. It's not in the U.S. and if the Soviet Union can collapse and the U.S. will survive, it's not going to happen like that. Mm -hmm everywhere we have a global culture so we have to be very careful to protect those few institutions that that are are holding things together still because if they're gone uh, we could be back in the dark ages really i mean that's what that's what the collapse of rome was about
0: yeah no i i agree i think that i mean i i started what i'm doing right now because i was listening to a bunch of podcasts and you know you hear people talk about like the conversation the dialogue and everything on this alternative media space there was all these people and you know they kind of had this loose connection of they're exploring ideas together in this i don't know this space through podcast youtube and all the platforms that you have and and i felt like i was like i what i want to do is get involved in it just somehow but i think i think that there's nowhere in this space where there's no like i don't know there's no patriarchal system in it that says here's the best people rising to the top it's it's your like you said in the beginning it's whatever content you consume gets fed back to you so there's no like steam it's the closest that you get really where the best content that everyone's liking goes to the top of your feed right it doesn't matter who you are everyone has an equal boat in that and it pops to the top and and so i think that that's kind of the systems that almost need to be you know built into the into the alternative media where you know the best keep rising to top so that you have the best ideas the things that most people are following along with and you know the Jordan Peterson like what he's doing obviously is rising top. I mean he has thousands of people listening to him talk about like two lines in Genesis (laughs) like for an hour and so um those kinds of people you know you need they need to have the ability to sort through and find what that new consensus is going to be you know uh i think that that system is important to have and i think that there obviously with technology there's there's a huge potential for that and that's kind of that's kind of where i'd like to take what i do is saying that you know different people can come in and write and put stuff on where i on my platform and you can kind of have that competition of ideas and the best ideas rise to the top
1: I think this is a very important point that you're bringing up here. And in particularly the, uh, I had not thought of it this way b- before, but in this context, it really works. I mean, if we, we think about YouTube and we think about what Google is trying to do, uh, with their particular algorithmic model, right? They're trying to keep you locked in and that is coming from an authoritative, uh, there, there is a hierarchical idea of, well, how are we organizing this algorithm? How are we uh, feeding this person information? And what are we, now we're seeing the censorship as well, which is clearly from a patriarchal, uh, authoritative stand, but curiously is being enacted by these same individuals, these SJWs who say that they're trying to, smash the patriarchy but yet oh but you're the authority with your hand on the button to do the censorship right so that's a purely authoritative model and I think that you are right that seeing the rise of steam and the idea that okay here is an actual I think it's and yours.org is another one right I don't know that these two are going to be the two uh, but this is a model. And one of the things that's interesting that Ryan Charles said that I found fascinating. So we're talking about this, uh, the Russian troll farms and everything, right? That's, that's in the news and how they're affecting the narrative and news and all of this. So Ryan Charles has yours.org, which is like a Bitcoin cash powered Steemit. Okay. Um, same idea, you know, you upvote, but you actually have to pay to upvote. It actually is gonna cost you something. You have to have some skin in the game. That's the idea with Steemit as well. Mm-hmm. And that it actually goes to the content creator when you do this upvote. And he's like, there's no trolling on yours.org. Yeah. Because trolls don't want to spend the money. And even if they do, well that's great. Troll, troll me, please. Yeah. Troll my content because every time you troll me, I get paid. And I think that that, that shows truly it and it is the only way to measure what is truly valuable to the vast majority of people is what is it that people are purchasing this is how we take it into the free market because yeah. although youtube is free to use it is not a free market because the viewer is the product yeah. right yeah. the eyeballs of the viewer is the product like, all you are is you are just a, for, if, as a content creator on YouTube, you're just kind of a form of capital, right? You're just the, the tools that they, the, you're the bait, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're fishermen trying to sell fish to the advertisers. The fish are, is the audience. You are a worm wriggling on a hook. And that's why they have no problem discarding people. Yeah. And people are like, oh, censorship, it's this. And it's like, you're a worm, bro. Mm-hmm. you're a worm just realize that going in you might be able to get become a fat worm because they're gonna you know they're gonna give you food to fatten you up to because so that you're nice and juicy mm-hmm. they're happy to feed you so it, so long as uh you attract lots of fish for them to sell off to the advertisers no problem but just understand what you are in this situation but steam it and yours and whatever is going to come next this is an, a super interesting model not just from the idea that, of course, content creators can get paid. That's great, and that's important. But the value that you can have to say, oh, this is what's generating consensus. Oh, this is what people really, truly believe, not trolls, not manipulated, because it's going to be very, over time, if it's, if, it's worth, if it's worth it to manipulate, it's going to be so expensive for you to manipulate it mm-hmm. right does that make sense uh, the yeah, economics yeah. of that that yeah. it's like when uh steam it had reached the point where for instance you could troll steam it to elect hillary clinton as president or to not uh, to elect donald trump as president
0: mm-hmm
1: it will be so expensive that it will be not economically viable to do so. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Well, especially on Steam, because if you're creating all these accounts, they don't actually have the steam power to affect the changes you have to build. You have to build the credibility as well. So you have the two sided thing. So if if you're a content creator, I mean, if you get all the content creators that are at the top, maybe you could do something, but you know, but how hard is that? But they're going to, but they're going to, but that would be betraying their own economic interests.
1: Because. exactly right they couldn't do something that would lose them sure if they were at the top and they really believed this and this was authentic to their message mm-hmm, sure mm-hmm. but they're going to do it anyway if yeah. it's authentic to their message you're not but even going to need right. to pay yeah. them to do it. yeah exactly so this is a this is a very and this is why um what's what what is his name Jacques Jacques Ellul I believe is the the guy's name uh, it's Techno, the, the technological, what is it? The technological age is, I, I believe, the book. But he says um, there, are no, there are no political solutions, only technological ones. All the rest is propaganda.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's true. Here's the te- we're talking about, here's the technological solution, right? And there's a lot of, of I see a lot of people complaining. I see a lot, of, a lot of people in the space complaining and more daily. Oh, the YouTube purge. They're purging us. I do not see these people migrating to these other platforms. Yeah. And this, it's, it's so interesting, especially with Alex Jones as a prime example, that I'm like, look, dude, if you moved over to these other platforms, they would be huge tomorrow. If you just said, look, we're closing our YouTube account because of this. People will leave YouTube if you want to hurt you could hurt Google so much by leaving mm-hmm. but you're not leaving yeah right yeah. so this and they know you're not leaving mm-hmm. this was the same situation with that uh, I remember when Howard Stern went to uh to Sirius mm-hmm. to Sirius XM right he he left terrestrial radio and went to satellite radio and it blew up satellite radio but I remember thinking to myself at the time uh, streaming radio was very very nascent at the time you couldn't you still couldn't really do it in your car and i was actually running i had built the internet radio station for cal state Dominguez hills and i was commuting back and forth uh to go to work i was working as a radio station coordinator there at the time that howard stern left and i remember thinking oh this is such a bad move on his part he should just go to it's all going to be internet streaming radio it's all going to be over the internet and eventually it's going to be on phones like i already knew that i was experimenting with the early stuff and i was like well, Howard Stern's going to blow it. He's going to take this $40 million when he could have $40 billion and be able to do way more things that he wants to do and be able to really launch, you know, or do a podcast.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You imagine, yeah. uh, yes. like, if Howard Stern would have done a podcast, that was pre-Joe Rogan. You imagine how that would have just taken things and shot it into the stratosphere, mm-hmm. right? And it's at all of these moments that, for those people who are listening who do a podcast, it's like, just go, go there now. Go there now. Because it's, we're already talking about where things are going to be. I think we can clearly see that this is the future. And that it's only going to take one or two big names leaving from the current paradigm, jumping into this other thing that's a better representation of something good coming out of the, this matriarchal consensus-based system. Mm-hmm. Seeing it for what it is, not being qualitative about it, no quantitative about it. Yeah. Right? Just making a, an observation that these two energies exist. We're seeing a shift in these energies. Let's roll with the decent always be on the lookout for what is decentralized, what is consensus-based, because that's gonna win right now. Mm-hmm. We're having a massive shift. Like put your money there because that's that's who's who's coming up. It's like that's the Facebook to the old ways my space. Mm-hmm. It's on its way out, this other way is on its way up, so you may as well invest right there. It's it, I mean, that's the play,
0: yeah, well, and I think that's how I mean I think that this basic paradigm of this shift has been what's kind of created the West. I think you saw it in Greece when so with the the basically the Sophists kind of got pushed out of the philosophical discussion, and we know Aristotle and Socrates and Plato because they were who they were, you know and there's a, I mean, I went through a book, it's the first Greek, or the first philosophers, and it goes through all the Greek philosophers before that, and just kind of, like, five pages on their basic understanding, right. and, right. like, some of those ideas that, like, like of the origin of the world and all these things, and then there's some people who are, like, yeah, uh, the world's got to be made up of some sort of atom, like, and that's, that's, I mean, they just thought about it and deduced that idea, and they're, like, that just has to be the makeup of things, mm-hmm. and, like, as when someone else is, like, no, it's, you know, it's just fire inside of, Earth, and that's what right. makes things. And then you're like, no, <laughs> but, and so, but they were deducing basically things that in a thousand years science would be able to prove, or two thousand years even. Mm-hmm. And but they had the idea. And then you have with the printing press and coming, you know, when that came along, you have this same thing where basically mm-hmm. you could create the new consensus on religion, and that's what changed the shape of Europe for. Ever. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was you know, the biggest change in the West by <laughs> by far that ever happened. Yeah yeah and then and so now you have basically out of that you have the rise of the individual because the catholic church had the monopoly on what was true and then you have people reading the bible for themselves and their native language so they could say oh this is different than this isn't what my priest said up at the altar you know up at in the pulpit and and so they could kind of question things and grow and learn as an individual and then in america when it came along the mm-hmm. founding fathers did the same exact thing and i think Now we have, we sit on this opportunity here where, you know, or actually even in the industrial revolution, you had that. And now we have the technological revolution is where Mm -hmm. I think the industrial revolution went the wrong way in consensus because you have the labor unions and the Marxist ideas that took hold and won, really. Absolutely. And and most throughout the world. I mean, America is the only country that stood against that. Even Europe's fallen to it in a large part
1: but america's America's there too i mean even I mean, it's a different it's a different form of socialism, but marx mm-hmm. I, I mean he was the thing about Marx is that Marxism as a prescription as a prescription and a program of what to do doesn 't work very well but marx his description of what he saw that the world was um, and his it was spot on mm-hmm. absolutely like. You talk about economic minds, like top three greatest economic minds in terms of description, in terms of seeing like, oh, this is how the world works. Mm-hmm. And he was seeing it at a time that it was like the proto-proto beginning. He was predicting what was gonna come. There were no factories, really, when he was, when he was writing what he was writing. He was seeing and predicting so much. Now, what, how he prescribed behavior He was honestly, he was just pulling that out of his ass. Right. So that was a that was an opinion that wasn't sort of revealed wisdom and some tiny amount of it. Again, it's that thesis, antithesis, synthesis. So everywhere in the world has a synthesis of socialist ideas like we have so much socialism throughout the West. Uh, He's well, Karl Marx is a Western thinker. You know what I mean? That's a, he's 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 a product of the West. His ideas are of the West, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if anything, that's why it's because of uh, Marxism that China is able to, was able to enter into the global marketplace and interact with the West and and have some sort of you know they, the the Chinese Premier wears a a, a three piece suit. You know what I mean? It's a, they're as Western as anybody else. Mm-hmm. So he Marx, if if of if. if, if if there's anybody who has moved uh, Western culture to places where it otherwise probably could not have moved because of the the cultural connection to religion and and language and all of those things and particular uh, legal codes, I mean it's been Marx that has that has opened the door for Western culture to flow in. So, but the what we're seeing now, I don't, I do not think that necessarily that I think the technological revolution is is almost over. Um, I think that what we are coming into now, I don't even know what you, how you would phrase it, but it is a new, we are becoming a new species at this point, I believe. And this is, you know, what I've, I've been, been trying to communicate, this idea that when we first came up as a species when human beings first arrived on the scene those first humans there was had to have been one family right like the species started from one group of individuals and for many who knows how long the species was just those individuals maybe some large family group maybe a tribe that spread across some amount of land but they all com- were able to communicate with each other in person vocally to see each other to touch each other, every other human being on the planet could communicate, because there were very few, could communicate with every other. And then at some point, maybe a million years ago, you know, they got too big, broke up, or some group went to go in search of more resources. And from that point on, we were out of touch with the other human beings that existed in the universe. And we've now reached the point, I think, that all of what we've gone through in everything that was prehistory and history, if there's an energy that's underneath it, if there's a goal and a reason that's underneath it, and I think it's what so many religions in particular are speaking to, if there was a spiritual energy and goal, it is to get back to that all men are your brothers, you're a single family. Um, But to really experience that, we have to talk with Mm. each other we have to be able to see each other as we are now every other human being on the planet instantaneously in real time and we're getting closer and closer every because there's such a demand for better communication we're getting closer and closer and i think that at the point when consensus is reached that yes we are back to that point where we can i can reach out instantly to every other human being on the planet i can at least see and hear them but maybe it's going to get to the point with virtual reality where i feel like i can touch them as well that that's the reset button Mm -hmm. that's the reset button and what we where we are at that moment is potentially going to determine the next million years that's going to be the that's going to determine what is this species as we spread out of this planet yeah and go to in the same way that, you know, that that initial split I'm talking about was when we left out of what some little small area in Ethiopia or wherever it was, where those first human beings were in the highlands of Ethiopia or where or the, you know, the, the plains of, of, uh, of Sub-Saharan Africa, wherever the hell it was. That moment, we're about to have that moment again, and it could be in our lifetime.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so wherever we are, that's going to be our starting point. And I hope... <laughs> I hope that our starting point is one that's a little healthier. I, th- I, th- I think it will be. I think, I think it has to be. It has to balance yeah. out. But it's not just going to balance out on its own. We have to, if we are having this conversation, it's because we are being driven by something to seek that balance. Mm-hmm. And that it's incumbent on everyone as individuals, if they value that balance, to play their own part in this particular uh, piece of the, the human experience. Mm-hmm. You know, to not just be a bystander, and to actually play a part because you're not a bystander everybody is playing a part and just by sitting on the sidelines you're you're playing a part and it might not be the part that you want to play
0: yeah well and i think what you're describing really in and, and that fracturing is basically the story of babel yeah. really it's that idea of you know everyone was together in this one place working towards that thing and then you know they were confused they they, they god confused their tongues they split apart and i think that if you can get everyone, you know, I mean, I can Google translate in any language you can, you know, language is becoming less, and less of a barrier. Obviously technology is becoming less, and less of a barrier. And you can get people into that one group again. But I think the key, what happened in Babel is that they were, you know, doing this out of hubris and out of basically, they were saying they could reach God and become like God. And I think that you have to remember that whatever you're building together, has to be uh, within the order of the universe, right? You, the Man cannot be God, and so when they betrayed the order of the universe, then God had to step in, basically, the idea. And so, if we're going to build something, we have to build something that's within the consensus of nature, that that was within the order, right? We can see the order; we know that there's natural law. You have to follow along that and build the consensus, build that you know, that thing in line with what's real and what's, what what's really physically around us that, within that reality, that observable, you know, world that we can see and touch and feel. We have to know that we're working within that, I guess. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a huge point and And it, it does bring up the idea of I, by the way, I think that you 're absolutely right that that is that is what the story of the Tower of Babel is about that 's exactly what that story is trying to communicate. The question is the question is is it communicating that that is an inevitable situation you know or or is there you know because I think that that is when we start to get into this idea of perhaps you might, uh, you know, the vernacular would be to say the kingdom of God, right? Can we reach a balance within our society? Where is that our destiny? Is our destiny to be able to reach a a place where we are in enough balance where we can have a million years of that balance being there? I I think it is the destination. Mm-hmm. I think it starts with the individual for sure and that's what the great sages of all time have have said it's that it's first for you to get into that balance for you to recognize that balance with nature with god with gaia with wh- whatever metaphor is the most powerful mm-hmm. and for me I don't care what the metaphor is and I think that all of the metaphors should be allowed to stay out there because whatever one truly motivates somebody to adopt a, a life where they pursue that balance where they pursue that sort of uh that righteous action whatever it is ne- that needs to be available to the, as many people as possible um and and you need to spread it with all with all of your might in the hope that someone else will also glom onto it so whatever whatever it is that is that structure that can help us to reach that point you know, I, I'm hopeful that that is a, a destination for us. Yeah. Uh, however, or at least it's. Or it, I think it's a great orientation. Yeah. I have some feeling, and it's in my own uh, reading, and I've spent a long time reading and analyzing Genesis, and I, I do believe that what is being written in there the story that's being told and the underlying, if you would call hidden or occult meaning that's in the occult, just meaning hidden. Mm-hmm. I don't mean occult yeah. like worshiping yeah. or something, but just the, the hidden meaning, uh, which would make sense coming from a, uh, a, a priest of Egypt, right? Someone who ha- was trained in the uh, Egyptian mystery schools to be able to write at multiple levels, which they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that it's talking about cycles that are perhaps inevitable. And that even if we do reach that balance for some period of time, that the nature of, that that part of that balance with nature is the introduction of some mutation, pathogen, environmental variable, something that makes the tower crash. And I think that we can find that balance again only if as we build that tower, as you say, front of mind we have the idea that this is potentially only temporary and it may crumble to the ground and the only way that we'll be able to rebuild it quickly and not have to go through the entire suffering for millions or hundreds or thousands of years is for us to keep front of mind this idea
0: of righteousness through the entire process mm-hmm. yeah and and i think that you i think that the that's. 100% correct that you have basically in both eastern and western thought you have Jesus and Lao Tzu talking about the way and that that's that thing that's that order that when you walk within it you feel the balance you feel the peace right you know you you know that you're in it because you feel it right and so and you have that and then you also have in my opinion where the the an absolute truth that is discoverable to a point, right? No there's no way that humans can fully understand full truth. But, you know, as you get we get closer and closer and as you're able to store knowledge and keep knowledge, you can get closer to it, that between those two things that you can observe the order and that we can continually work on knowing what it is that, that the way, that this order of the universe around of the world around us, as you get closer and closer to that end, to that asymptote basically. You never can hit the asymptote but as you get closer you can maintain things for longer you can maintain things better and and so obviously there'll be crap and there you know it's probably not going to look like you know your graph of the exponential function it's going to be a lot messier but but you can have that i think i think that as you get closer you you know you recognize that you're getting closer to that asymptote and if you can continue to work along those lines and you keep if you orient yourself with that in mind, then you know where you're going and you know that there's always an improvement. You know, you can always be better. You can always get closer to that objective, that absolute truth, get, walk closer within the order um, of the world, the way. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, that directly goes to why I value individualism so much that any any approach, if you want to uh, improve the world, you're going to have to go internally and improve your 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 soul, really, first, right? You're, you're going to have to get yourself in line with the way. And this is just, if there is an absolute truth, I think, you know, you go from all the way from, you know, Jesus or Lao Tzu or you go to to Mises, you know, talking about human action and only individuals act. It's like it just shows itself to be, it's just true. It's just, it's as true as those Greeks saying, well, the world must be made out of atoms. You know, this idea of the individual is the the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Individual consciousness is the only, is the pinnacle. And the reason it's the pinnacle is because if you get your individual consciousness right, like you've done your part, Mm -hmm. you've done your part. And that's the best that you can do for the world is to do your part. And I think that it stands in direct opposition. And it's clearly, um, we can experience the fact that that's true by being in a room full of people who are dedicated to improving themselves as individuals, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is their idea of how to change the world. Or being in a room full of people who believe that they have to change the behavior of other people, perhaps even by force, by any means necessary, and that's how they're going to change the world. And if you've ever been in a room with those two different groups of people, I promise you, unless you're a psychopath, the room that you prefer is the one with the people who believe that, that their individual growth and the evolution of their own individual
0: Uh-oh. consciousness is the way to go okay yeah no i i definitely um, did I, I lose you are you i know it's it's, it's saying my internet's <laughs> unstable all right no i think i'm good i i i, I heard you all there it just kind of glitched out for a sec okay uh, cool. yeah no problem um no but i i definitely think that it's one of those things that it starts like that's why the Tao Te Ching starts with the way it starts with you know what is this thing how do you get how do you reconcile yourself with that and then it's how do you act it in, in the exterior world um you know and then Jesus even says you know if you think of, you know if you think lustful thoughts and you've already started on the path right you've already thrown yourself out of the right way you know and so I definitely think that it's going to have to be the like you said the individual taking individual efforts to make themselves better and to make and to use that to make the people around them better to share you know your yourself your your path with other people and get them to do that as well right that's why it's important for the parents to instill the values in their children first because you can't trust that other people are going to do that you have to take it on yourself to do that and you have to first to be a good parent you have to be a good person, you know, if you're, if you're not able to afford your own sustenance to feed yourself, then you can't feed your children, you know, that's right. So I think that that's, uh, that's where it has to almost go. And I think that this decentralized consensus network is going to be able to facilitate that in a new way, just same way that the printing press was able to change, um, the, the way that everything else functioned. So
1: yeah we we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but we can be i think we can have faith that it is going to happen mm-hmm. um, I think that there well history has borne out i mean there's enough of us on the planet now, and we 're all communicating there are enough minds. This is a wonderful part about um how a decentralized system works that it works at its best when there are the maximum number of participants mm-hmm. in it. It works fastest that way. A consensus model works fastest. And, you know, this is much more of, there There has been for the last 10,000 years a struggle for the top of the hierarchy. And the people who are going to be the most successful now and who are going to feel the most uh, fulfillment in their lives at this point, I think it's going to be very interesting because they're going to be much less about trying hard to climb to the top of the mountain and much more about uh, sitting in the wave and trying to learn how to ride that wave on their surfboard because Mm -hmm. that's really that's really what we have we have a much more fluid dynamic Mm -hmm. rather than you know the raw strength that is required to climb to the top of the hierarchy and do the little the little rocky dance at the top of the steps you know that's that's not where it's at anymore and so the crypto savage i mean to to bring it full circle the, this this new this new person or this new way of life that is going it's just going to be this these are going to be the people who feel the most successful and the most fulfilled are going to be those people who gain enough knowledge to get a, a glance into the future mm-hmm. to see where this wave is going to learn in many ways to feel the wave uh, because more than anything, you're going, you're a part of this consensus. So it's inside of you, you're going to feel and to be able to use, I think this is where having it being, uh, you know, th- th- pure of heart, this idea that really what that pure of heart is, is to be able to push your ego to the side, to be able to have some faith in your own, uh, feelings internally mm-hmm. uh, to, to clear yourself out, to have, um, to to have some Mm self-purification, right? To purify yourself. But the reason that you're purifying yourself is not because that suddenly makes you a good person and better than everybody else. No, it's a very practical reason. You purify yourself so that you can feel which way this thing is pulling and so that you can move in that direction without resistance. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be an entirely new paradigm. It's going to require a new level of spirituality, but I think we have all of the tools. The great masters of the past have given us all of the tools. Uh, if we'll, if we'll look back, but now we can actually like, we can use them. I, it's, I, I think that we're approaching, I call it like a new age of magic, right? So I, I, I do think that we are approaching a, a time when, well, we're already in a time when the, if if you were to tell somebody about us having this conversation in the way that we are, a thousand years ago, I mean, this is magic. Yeah. This is magic. What we're yeah. doing right now. I mean, this is like the a crystal ball or 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 you know, looking in the water and the the thing and the sorcerer's like, oh, I can see he's r- going around. And it's like, no, we're actually we're doing that right now. Mm-hmm. So we're in a new age of magic, mm-hmm. and I think that to to have that spiritual basis to understand that the universe. Is much bigger than we think. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of these ideas that have been expressed for so very long by the great spiritual masters, we can really actually use in the real world (laughs) right now, and not in some some woo-woo way, Mm -hmm. but in a real way to actually manifest some real things in the world. It's a pretty amazing time, man.
0: No, I, I I agree. I mean, I think it's I think that's the point is that the idea has to start, right? It's it's the word and the idea, the thought that begins. And then you have to have, you know, the, the ability to nurture that idea and to make it real, right? The entrepreneur has this idea and then he has to find the capital and the, the right thing and all of these right circumstances have to kind of be met before he can make his business happen. And, you know, every, and everything like, you know, the, you know, Da Vinci, his ideas like it took. Five hundred years to be able to build some of them, you know, or, you know, he was almost there on some of them. He just didn't have like a vent in his parachute, you know. It would have worked, but you would have stayed in the air forever, you know. And then someone took that idea and made it, tweaked it, and it became real. And and all those, there's so many times that people have been so ahead of their time that they seem crazy, but it's because, people can't envision how an idea becomes real, until the circumstances are right, and. This is like my argument with my dad all the time is like he tells me that I'm like for being a voluntarist anarchist. He's like, no, he's like, you're talking about the same thing that the socialist is. You're talking about like, you, you know, utopia. I'm like, no, I'm just talking about the fact that this is the way things are going to go, I think, towards that because technology is going to take us there. Technology has brought us here. And I think that the ideas that we've talked about, those are com- going to come to fruition right i think that too. very quickly too very 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 quickly yeah yeah and you so, think
1: about how think about you know i have to rem- constantly remind myself of this but think about how difficult it would be to have spread these ideas that we're talking well we know how difficult it was i mean the, the murray rothbards and the ludwig von mises like you had to write Books, you had to be within the academy. It was so much work, and you were still some little niche guy that nobody outside of of your particular field knew about. And now it's like, nah, man, I've just got my laptop, got a you, you know, I've got my earbuds, and I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm it's time to go spread the message, and millions of people can can hear it, and not just that that it can that it has that viral aspect that it's like you don't know because. You know, you don't know, even if, even, if it's, even if you personally are not reaching a million people, like, you don't know how many other people you are influencing who are spreading the message and that that message that comes, that originally came sort of from you, germinated from you, hits somebody else and they're the one. Like, you don't, you don't, Jesus had 12 disciples, but Paul, you know what I mean? Like, come on. And you, and so you never know who you are in that whole mix you never and john the baptist only had one one disciple that we really uh, care about at yeah. all you know what i mean so this it's like it, it it travels in waves and it's think about how difficult and how long that process took mm-hmm. but you imagine if jesus had a podcast <laughs> <laughs> So we're in a, we're in a, a place right now where it's a, it's a very, very amazing time. Everybody should be participating in it. Like, I mean, it, it is a conversation mm-hmm. and it is going to happen. Like all of these things that we're talking about are going to happen because none of the, the, the re- and I'm a voluntarist for the same reason that you are, because I look at the landscape of what the world is going to look like, and it's pretty clear what the world is going to look like if you do a logical progression. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, no other philosophy, first off, no other philosophy is, is, gonna, is logically consistent mm-hmm. and ethically and morally consistent. Mm-hmm. And no other philosophy is going to work in this new environment. Yeah. They're all going to fall by the wayside. So why would I even like why bank on something that's just going to be irrelevant in twenty years? You mm-hmm. know, let me go with the thing that's a that's a that's irrelevant that's relevant now and that will be even more relevant twenty years from now and probably a hundred years from now. So that's you know, it's a very good point. Very good point.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of why I did the why I titled this "The Conversation of Our Generation" is that I'm like, I think this has to be that sorting out i saw i i think that um like you were talking about the wave in the surfer the i took a surf lesson one time and the guy said that i was like looking backwards and i would look and see the wave coming and he's like the one thing that you do well that most beginners don't do is you pick the right wave and he said that's the hardest thing for most beginners to get is to see which wave that you need you know which one's going to be at the right place can you catch this wave or or is that wave going to be past you by the time you paddle up to it and and so I saw kind of this movement, you know, this, I kind of did that environmental scan and you, I just kind of saw like what was going on. I'm like, okay, this is my place where I can step in. And I think that everybody who has something that they want to say needs to find that place where they can step in and say something because uh, like, I like Dave Rubin's show for that reason, because he pulls these people who this is their place. Like they, they have like this a lot of times, like these niche things that they're amazing at and he pulls them out and that you can see just like this macro, uh, all these consequences that come from like this person's work and they knew that they knew what they were doing, you know, whether it's the Weinstein or uh, the, or not the Weinstein, uh, yeah, the Weinstein brother, Brett and Weinstein, and that, uh, they're, they're evolutionary biologists. And when they talk about things, it's, they kind of talk about like what you do with the, this is how the male and female thing work. You know, you have to understand those things now mm-hmm. because we have to know that because people are attacking that idea and that that's right and so jordan peterson's another example obviously you know and so i think that everybody needs to find that spot where they can step in and they can see that way that they can catch and i think that that's that's how we uh that's how we change the the landscape really is finding our wave
1: i agree so, i agree great point great point yeah. yeah man it's been it's been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks. All right. Uh, it was awesome talking to you and I'm sure that we'll probably I'll, I'll be talking to you on Twitter more and we'll maybe do this again sometime. <laughs> yeah. I'd love, I'd love to, I'd
1: love to. So as I've, you know, I've, I'm working on a second book, which will be out uh, probably, I'm thinking probably July or August and some of these concepts will be in there, but they're not fully articulated for me yet. So maybe the initial pieces of this, con- these concepts will be in here in there. So maybe after, uh, maybe when the book comes out, if you, if you read it and you like it, we can have a discussion about it. I'd love to do that. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to. All,
0: All right. right. Yeah. Great. Thank you How for having it? me. Yeah. Bye.